If you go ahead and grab a seat, my name is Preston. If I haven't met you, uh, another welcome to you today, uh, whether you're a guest or whether you've been here a long time. It's great to see you today. I'm the associate pastor, and I'd love to meet you if I haven't by chance. Come grab me after the service. Today we are continuing on in a series we've been in for a while in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're right in the middle of it, really, in the midst of chapter 6. And Jesus is continuing to explore the kingdom of God and explain in detail um, something he said back in chapter 5, verse 20, which is this. He said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this whole section of the sermon is explaining what this greater righteousness looks like. What does it look like when your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees? And as we've heard about so many different things, uh, the point comes again and again, how can I do this? How is it possible? Uh, how can we enter the kingdom? And remember, it's only possible. The only reason it's possible to live in this kingdom is because Jesus fulfilled this law in his life and death and resurrection and established a new covenant with his people and God. And this is really good news for us because it is a bar we can't attain on our own no matter how hard we try. So God made this new covenant with and through the blood of Jesus Christ and declared that whomsoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and will have full access into this kingdom. God continues to establish and work out this covenant in our lives through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's how all this kingdom stuff happens. It's God pouring his spirit into our hearts, into our lives, and then the spirit does this work of etching the, the law into our hearts and into our actions and our words and our deeds. And this is, this is how the, the transformation occurs. And transformation is an important word because all of this isn't, it's not just following rules. It's not just a moral code, um, but it really is about being aligned with the heart of God with entering into living in a way that fits with the way God created all things. Now, if all this feels a little abstract to you, the good news is that Jesus is a teacher. And so he, he doesn't leave things up in the clouds, but he takes them and he gives us a vision of what the kingdom looks like. And that's what this sermon is. A vision of the kingdom of God, of, of, of the abundant life today and tomorrow and for eternity. Well, our passage today brings us to some penetrating questions where Jesus asks us about our priorities and our deepest values and our wallets. And he asks us to, to look at what we have and to take stock of our possessions and our credit card statements. And in this place, ask, ask us, what do you really treasure? What do you really value? What are you fixated upon? So let's listen again to these Simple words of Jesus in verses 19 to 24. I'm in Mark, not Matthew. Mark doesn't give us the Sermon on the Mount. 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's our main idea today. Following Jesus means treasuring God and God alone. Following Jesus means treasuring God and God alone. Now, I want to stop right here for a moment again and and pray. Because in many ways, this passage is very simple. As I prepared it this week, I almost just wanted to read it and say the word of the Lord and be done. You all would probably like that because you get to go home sooner. But really, before I say anything else, I just want us to ask God together and listen for a moment and invite him to speak to us directly about these questions. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that your call upon our lives goes to the deepest parts of us, and it is a narrow way. Your words challenge us to consider what we treasure and how we view our wealth and our money. So we ask, will you illuminate our hearts today and reveal what's inside? Maybe ask ask Jesus that right now. Will you illuminate our hearts today and show us what we do treasure? Speak, Lord. Will you capture, and we're needed, recapture the areas of our hearts that are fixated elsewhere off of you? Amen. Well, in these verses, Jesus teaches that the kingdom way, as we've said, goes right down to our possessions. And he gives us three contrasts to help us wrestle with this and figure out what he's trying to say. Um, and, and And all of them, he's making the same point that our money and our relationship to our money really matters to God and in the kingdom of God. And he helps us understand why we can only treasure God and God alone. So here's the three contrasts, earthly treasure and heavenly treasure, light and darkness, God and money as our masters. So let's enter in verses 19 to 21 first. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Jesus just starts by giving us some very practical investment advice. He says, you have two choices. Lay up treasure in heaven or on earth. In heaven, your treasure is secure for eternity. It will never rust, it will never fade, it will never be stolen. On earth, your treasure will fade. It's not a matter of if, but when. On earth, our treasure is subject to hurricanes and the stock market, an unforeseen death or illness, or the work of thieves even. Which will you choose, Jesus asks. Now, at the outset, it is just a matter of wisdom. If we believe in eternity, which will we choose? Will we be wise and invest in eternal things that will never pass away, or foolish and invest and give our lives to things that will be gone one day? Jesus forces us to ask the obvious question, what do you treasure? What do you value? And he warns us, 
Don't invest your time and your money and your life into anything that is not submitted to God's rule, to his kingdom, because it's passing away. I'm sure you've heard this before if you're, if you're a Christian or even maybe not. You may have heard this language. Um, but, but we have to ask ourselves again because the inertia in our world and in our own hearts is always pulling us to immediate gratification, to selfishness, uh, to treasuring earthly things. Every single day we're hit with this in lots of different ways. Um, so it's good to take stock from every once in a while and say, where is my treasure? What am I valuing? in this moment today. Of course, uh, finances and wealth, um, monetary wealth is the obvious thing Jesus is talking about, and he names that. Um, for us, a home, investments, savings accounts, these sorts of things would be the direct parallel. But other things too, of course, can fall into this category uh, related to wealth. It could be budgets for clothing or entertainment or lack of budgets for clothing and entertainment or travel or credit cards with the best point systems. Now, I want you to hear, I'm not saying material poverty is a good in and of itself or something. That's not what Jesus is advocating for. I'm, I'm not saying having savings accounts is, is wrong. Um, that's missing the point. He's talking about what we treasure in our hearts, what truly we give our lives to, what really matters to us. Jesus is challenging me on this and you on this. Earlier in chapter 6, he challenged the hypocrite who prays in front of crowds because they love to be seen by other people and they love the attention. Now in this section, Jesus is challenging the one who lays up treasure on earth on these grounds. He's saying, you too are out of step. The problem is you are seeing yourself as the ultimate provider of resources, of satisfaction, of provision, not God. So that's the challenge here. Do we see ourselves as the ultimate provider for us in our lives, or do we lend that to God? Now, paradoxically, laying up for ourselves treasures on earth actually tends to produce the opposite results of what we would like it to or what we're hoping it will. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson describes it like this, naming that anxiety and stress will likely increase when we go this route. He says, seeking security in this world and its possessions is a recipe for producing anxieties rather than relieving them. The more we gather possessions in order to feel secure, the more we feel we need them to maintain our security. Therefore, the less secure we are. This is attested to again and again in today's world. It's no secret that depression and discontent among uh, the wealthy, and when I say wealthy, we need to include all of us in our thinking when we think on a global scale of how wealthy we are sitting here today. Um, it's no secret that that is a common trend. Robert Lane, who's a political science professor or was at Yale, uh, shows that after income surpasses the poverty level, greater levels of income add much less to happiness. There is a degree where it goes up, but then it actually starts going back down. Uh, summarizing Lane's findings, one author, Jan, Jan Johnson, writes the following. Despite the fact that people in prosperous democracies, like us, find their wealth satisfying, many are also haunted by a spirit of unhappiness. Their main source of well-being are usually friendships and a good family life, not possessions. 
In fact, increased prosperity often has a negative effect. As wealth increases, family and community erode often, and individuals often become more distrustful of each other. This makes sense when you consider that often in prosperity, we become more self-indulgent. That makes us more self-centered and difficult for others to deal with. And so relationships suffer. When we treasure earthly things, we tend to fuel our anxiety by buying more. And then we have more things to take care of and more things to worry about. More things to keep the moths out of and the rust from corroding upon. More things to capture our hearts. And we create this situation where we have more things to juggle that we think we actually need for security, which ends up squeezing out more and more capacity in our hearts and in our lives and willingness on our side to treasure the things that do matter and the only thing that matters, which is God alone and his kingdom. Now, Jesus is trying to tell us that the kingdom life is abundant life. And we're not going to get abundant life through mere consumption. It's actually freeing for us to know and to know in the deep places of us that nothing sold on Amazon or no experience or stay on Airbnb or no certain number in a bank account is going to meet the restlessness of the human soul. Laying up treasures on earth is a short-term investment that will disappear one day. And it, it breeds further anxiety in already anxious hearts. However, Jesus' main concern with all this, we haven't even got to yet, it's in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart isn't just the emotions. It's the whole bit of a person. The thoughts, the will, the motivations. Your heart, what Jesus means, is who you really are. You could just insert your name instead and read it this way. I'd read it like this. For where my treasure is, there Preston is also. Or for where your treasure is, there Emily is also. Or where your treasure is, there Madison is also. This is how you know where your treasure really lies. It's where you show up. It's where you really show up and offer yourself. It's where you really engage. It's where you pay your time to and your attention to and your money to. You follow your treasure, says Jesus. You show up and you invest and you care about what you treasure and that's where you are. And what you treasure, and this is important, what you treasure and value and invest in matters to God. Why? Because you matter to God. Deeply matter. See, Jesus, the king of the kingdom of heaven, invites you to lay up your treasure in heaven with God because he wants you to be near to him and to delight in you. That's his heart for you. And when we lay up our treasure in this kingdom of heaven with him, we are drawing close to God and placing ourselves in a trustworthy space where our desires will be moved to align with God's desires and his heart for the world, which is the place of true joy. Jesus moves on, and the next contrast he gives tells us what our treasure says about the state of our soul. Verses 22 to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The contrast is between light and darkness. It is a common theme in Scripture. But at first glance, it seems strange right in the middle of this passage on treasure and money. What's that about? And further, what's the business of the eye being the lamp of the body about? That sounds a little strange. Well, in the ancient mind, the human eye was thought to be the window between the outside and the inside of a person. If you wanted to know what was inside of a person, you'd look into their eyes. Now, they were onto something, weren't they? Because there is power in, in the eyes and eye contact with other people. It's why you're told to reach out your hand and make eye contact when you have an interview. It's why you want to hide your eyes when you feel shame. Jesus is saying that the eye of a person reveals whether there is darkness or light inside them. And either the eye is healthy or bad. This is a spot, unfortunately, where we do lose something in translation. Each of these words have a, has a thick meaning, a healthy one. More literally, is a single or an undivided, wholly given uh, person with a direct pur purpose and even generous. There's light inside of this person. A bad eye is an evil eye. Um, and in this context, a greedy, a greedy person. There's only darkness inside. And great is that darkness, says Jesus. Now, he wants to point to us what's inside and show us this because, again, he cares about what's inside of us. He cares about our treasure and whether there's light and dark or dark in our soul. He cares about the states of our souls. I always picture Jesus with a penetrating gaze, don't you? It's like when you, when you stand face to face to him, he will know everything. The truth is he already does. But in that moment, I imagine just the penetrating gaze. He can see us, all of us. He knows whether there's darkness or light inside of us. And he's asking us the question to reflect on ourselves. What is inside of you? Light, freedom, generosity, an undivided spirit, or evil, selfishness, greed, in the last contrast Jesus makes, it's very clear why he cares about money, why he's making such a big deal about it, and why we can only treasure God. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money, like earthly treasure, means more than just dollar bills. It's the sum of what we have, our, our wealth, material assets. And when it comes to our resources, again, this includes all of us, however much or little we think we have. We have two masters to choose from, says Jesus, God or money. Two masters. And when we are devoted to one, we will grow to hate the other. So just to spell that out, if we are devoted to serving money, we will grow to hate God. This is because serving money fuels in us greed. And the greedy person will hate anyone or anything that tries to take their money from them. The greedy person wants it all for themselves, no sharing. Equally, if we're devoted to God and his kingdom, we will hate the lordship of money. We will resist that entrapment of greed. 
we'll be able to recognize it and, and run from it. And we will yearn for the freedom of an open-handed life with our money. Jesus is piling on the penetrating questions today, isn't he? And here's the last one. Who are you serving? God or money? It's uncomfortable to think about serving money, isn't it? Because it's dehumanizing. But it's the question. Are we serving our possessions? Do we own them or do they own us? Or the other option, are they in service to the kingdom of God? Do we hold our, open, or do we hold our money with open hands to Jesus, ready to use it in service of the kingdom as a steward for his good and his purposes? Jan Johnson makes the, makes the observation that when we are mastered by money and our desires for more, we end up, we use people and love things instead of the other way around. We use people and love things. Do you ever think when you meet someone, what can I get from this person? What can they offer me? Whether for personal reasons or business or career, whatever it may be. Are we serving money where we use, where we use people and love things? Or, again, the other, side of, the other option, are we serving God where we are eager to, to use our things for God's purposes, to lay them in his hands, and to join him in loving our neighbor as ourself and using what we have to serve. Jesus gives his followers one way forward, as he always does, and it's a narrow way, as usual. If you follow me, your treasure must be in heaven. You must serve God and money. There's no maybe option here. That's it. That's his question. What will you treasure? We must acknowledge together as a society and even as a church that we have too often wandered very far from the simple teachings of Jesus. I certainly feel convicted studying this this week. We are consumers by default, hoping that further consumption will create a better life, will be the good life, will give us the easier life or the more comfortable or exciting or adventurous or fulfilling life, whatever it is we want. And too often, it would seem that our treasure is laid where moth and rust destroys, with things or experiences or conveniences that we rapidly and rapidly consume. Jesus is calling us to repent of this. But he's not just leaving us there. He's also giving us some incredible news, some really good news. And it's that there is another option. We don't have to serve money The good news is this, we're invited to invest in eternal treasure that is never fading and will never go away in God's kingdom. And this is more exciting and more real and more meaningful than any of of these other things. When our treasure is God and God alone, you'll start acting differently with your money. We will start treating it a different way. You may find ways to limit your spending so that you can be more generous. You may start submitting purchasing decisions to God even before you make them and asking, asking questions, and this is a good practice. You know, have you ever stopped before making a new purchase and thinking, what will adding this to my life, whether it's a device or a subscription or a trip or whatever, what will it do to my heart? Is it an earthly treasure or a heavenly one? 
Here's the thing. Does it create space in my heart, in my life, in my desires to abide with God in my life, to invest more deeply with people that he's given me to love and to serve? Or does it do the opposite and squeeze out even more of my energy and time and money and resources so I have even less of me to offer to God and to, to, to make space for treasuring him? See, treasuring God may also cause you to, to start simplifying your life some. And this isn't for simplicity's sake, but so that, again, you have less earthly baggage to carry around, to manage, so that you can have more capacity to treasure God and his kingdom. Paul and Christy Borthwick are a couple. It's one example of a couple who's trying to do this. When they got married... They committed to one another to not passively fall into the consumer lifestyle, but to ask before they made purchases and spent money, well, what else could we do with this money? Is there something else we could do in alignment with God's kingdom? Early at the beginning of their marriage, Christy, for example, chose to bring her lunch to work instead of eating out, and the money she saved in a year by doing this, she paid the school tuition of several students in Uganda. She thought about, what else could I do with this? This couple later in their 40s, um, the husband, Paul, had a stable income. Um, and instead of just hunkering down and thinking about planning for retirement, at that time, they sensed God calling them to something different and something new. And they left this job. And since then, he's done teaching and international development and mission work all around the globe and never had the same salary. This is what Paul says about it. Because of our choices in the first early 20 years of our marriage, we were free at this time to go out, as Abraham is described in Hebrews 11.8, not knowing where he was going. This is important. Years of living a simpler lifestyle gave us the freedom to be liberated from golden handcuffs. Now, we're not all going to be called to a lifestyle like that. But it's just one example. And what we are all called to, and what we are all offered and given, is to have freedom from golden handcuffs. That is what Jesus has for us, to not be entrapped to a serve, in serving a master who has money that cares nothing about us. Instead, we're invited, we're invited into the freedom and joy of treasuring God alone of living the exhilarating life of his kingdom, of getting to join him in his work, and, and stewarding and finding ways to use our, what we have in service of his kingdom instead of our own desires. And Jesus promises that when we do this, this is actually the path to abundant life. It may not look like it from the outset, but when you start walking it, Jesus says, this is the way. This is the path to abundant life. Will you follow me on it? Let's pray together.